Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Hang on the Holy Land, Land Grant Holy Land's flagship podcast. I'm your host, Gene Ross, and joined back joined by Josh Dooley. Missed last week's podcast as he was traversing the mountains of, of something of that sort. Josh, would you like to uh, explain to the people where you were this past weekend? You missed a you know, pretty crazy game between Ohio State and Penn State. I, I think you actually missed all of the bad and saw most of the good, but nonetheless, it was a, it was kind of a, a crazy weekend to be gone. Yeah, so um, apologies to those who tune in to listen to me, uh, two or three of you probably with the same last name. But uh, yeah, so a little peek behind the curtain. My wife had planned a trip to Gatlinburg and no need to worry about us. We've since gone to counseling. I don't hold it against her. But, um, you know, I was sort of nervous going into the game. And you and I talked about it off air when we did our last podcast. I was like, I might not see any of this game and I might be okay with it, you know, Um, because I was nervous. So long story short, we're in the mountains, but uh, I've got a young daughter. She couldn't make it all the way up. Um, We went through that. And so we come out of the mountains. I've got no cell phone coverage or anything. The first drive I see happening is when Ohio State is up 16 to 14 but Penn State is driving. So I'm like, what the heck is going on here? I'm looking at our Slack group, looking at a a, uh, group text with some of my friends, looking ESPN. I'm like, okay, Ohio State can't run the ball. Uh, Sean Clifford committed a bunch of turnovers and Ohio State's up two points, about to go down again. So I'm like, what the heck is going on? You know, so first emotion is surprise. Then it's being upset. And then I finally get back to our cabin and I started and I got to watch the fourth quarter when, you know, JT Tumalau went absolutely bananas. CJ Stroud finally dialed in, it seemed like, and Trayvon Henderson broke off the big run. So if you can just imagine the the range of emotions that I felt, you know, coming down from the mountaintop, I've got no clue what's going on. Then Ohio State's down. I see the, the, the forced fumble almost get recovered just an absolute insane 33 percent of the game that that i got to watch but in the end clearly worth it and one of the more unique viewing experiences or partial viewing experiences i've had for an ohio state game just um i i went through it gene so all in all i'm, I'm sort of glad that i missed what i did and the end result was great but what a game right i mean i missed your guys' post game. Tell me a little bit about it. What were you going through, Gene? Yeah, I mean, I imagine if you were just looking at sort of the box score of this game coming into the fourth quarter, it probably looked very confusing because you see, you know, Mayan Williams has about like two or three carries. Ohio State can't run the football at all, but CJ Stroud looks like he's having an efficient day. Um, but yeah, yeah, then you look you look at the scoreboard and you see it's a two point game. Ohio State's kicked a couple of field goals, even though they forced three turnovers to that point. So very confusing, I would imagine, from a box score standpoint. But yeah, I mean, me and Matt talked about it this past week uh just a, a weird game like it's it's just this is one of the it was a classic ohio state penn state game where for seemingly no reason at all penn state's able to keep it close they even had really you know if things broke a different way they had a chance to win this game if it weren't for things happening in that fourth quarter but yeah like you said ohio state really just turned it on in that fourth quarter everything went uh their way for really the last nine minutes of the game jg Tweemalow had the, the game of a lifetime for ohio state and that was really the end of the story so i mean yeah i, I can't imagine the, not, not after not watching the first three quarters and then only watching what you saw, I, I would imagine watching it, you're like, how is Ohio State not winning this game by 70 points? 
I, it was the anxiety was so high. And when I first kind of, you know, we were driving and I hear the drive going on Penn State's drive going on. We found it on my phone or something like that. And I, I was near a heart attack. I was like, I wish I watched none of this and just saw the the end result that that one quarter put me through everything I didn't ask for. But except for the end with the elation, the win, all that good stuff. So all in all, great experience. But I, I, I'm OK if it doesn't happen again. So can we like safely blame Ohio State's first three quarters on you not watching the game? Is that is that what I'm hearing? It's exactly what I told my wife. I said, babe, listen, this means I have to watch every minute of every Ohio State game the rest of the year and, and until they potentially lose. And then then I'll take some of the blame. But yeah, I had to break it down for us. And I'm clearly the key. I am the engine that keeps this thing moving. So from here on out, every Saturday, she's got to leave me alone. You know, that's just something we're going to have to work through. Hopefully she understands. But it's for the the betterment of the team. And I think that there are millions of people who need me to really come through in that in that instance. Yeah, you're just a team guy at the end of the day. And I think she has to she has just has to understand that it's for the greater good of the people. And you're just you're just a man of the people. And so it's not um, about me. It's what I told her. It's not about me. It's about all of Buckeye Nation. Exactly. Well, Josh, I have I have good news for you. And it's the fact that um, even if you weren't to watch this next Ohio State game, I have a feeling that things would go um, pretty well for for the good guys in this upcoming game that we're going to preview here uh, coming up against Northwestern. Uh, I, I think we could sort of start to dive in here. Not a uh, probably won't be one of our longer preview episodes because there isn't really a ton to talk about here. But um, yeah, I, I don't expect this Northwestern game to be quite as competitive as Ohio State's game against Penn State this past weekend. Um, just, just kind of looking at the surface of what Northwestern has done this year, uh, really just a disastrous season for Northwestern in 2022. They, they started the year with a bang. They defeated Nebraska and Ireland in the opener, 31 to 28. And they've since gone on to, to lose all of their games since then to sit at one and seven. They lost all three of their non-conference games to Duke, Miami, Ohio, and Southern Illinois, which is an FCS school. They have not beaten a conference opponent in four tries with losses to Penn State, Wisconsin, Maryland, and most recently Iowa. Um, this last game against the Hawkeyes was a, a pretty embarrassing one. Uh, we've seen what Iowa's offense is capable of, or rather not capable of already this year when they played Ohio State. Uh, Northwestern allowed 33 points to the Hawkeyes, and most notably, all of that came on offense. There were no defensive touchdowns for Iowa this week. Uh, Spencer Petras threw for 220. 20 yards and a touchdown against them. They allowed another almost 180 yards on the ground. Uh, offensively, the Wildcats ran for just 18 yards on 37 attempts. And so, um, you know, and the score would have looked even worse had Northwestern not you know, scored a touchdown on the game's final play. But Nonetheless, a pretty ugly way for the team to lose its seventh straight game. They have not won a game this year on U.S. soil. As I mentioned, that opener was in Ireland, so not not a great uh, not a great year for Northwestern as a whole. And you know, with with a lot of these teams we've previewed, even the, the lesser teams on Ohio State's schedule, they've at least had like one or two like really big standout guys or, or things to hang their hat on. One thing they do particularly well um, can't really be said for Northwestern so far this year. They have a couple of good players, but just as a whole, I mean, this offense ranks 120th out of a. 131 teams with only 17.9 points per game defense not much better 85th in the country allowing 28.8 points per game and it's just you know pretty much everything that could go wrong for Northwestern has gone wrong this year and this is just not a team on any sort of upward trajectory right now things have sort of gone off the rails for Pat Fitzgerald Northwestern you know they played the Big Ten championship game in 2020 they've won four games since you know so over a year and a half now and 
you're right. It's just it, they don't have anything to hang their hat on. It used to be strong gra- strong ground game, and we can get to Evan Hall. He's a good player and good, scrappy, tough defense. And they just they don't have the defense this year. And then on the other side of the ball, they just don't have the horses to put up points. Clearly, you know they're putting up like 16 points a game right now. I'll have that stat later, but. It's just interesting because Pat Fitzgerald is, I think, the 14th highest paid coach in college football, or at least he was going into the season. And, you know, I get it. He's a legacy and he is comfortable there. All indications are that he loves it at Northwestern, his alma mater. And by keeping him around, I think that the Ivy League wannabe can also claim to be passionate about sports. But at the end of the day, Fitzgerald has seemingly peaked. And yes, they made it to that Big Ten championship game. But if, if you look at the other seasons around that since 2018, they're trending towards three three win seasons if they pick up a couple more. And I I don't know that I see it. You know, Ohio State, Minnesota, Purdue, and Illinois on the schedule. There is a very real chance that North, Northwestern ends this season one and eleven, which would just be, you know, inexcusable for a Big Ten program, in my opinion, especially when you're paying your coach $5.5 million a year. You know, you could give me a heck of a lot less, and I might be able to eke out two wins. Um, and, and that's sort of tongue-in-cheek. I do, I have liked what Pat Fitzgerald has done in the past. You know, he's there have been some NFL flirtations. I think he was linked to gr- the Green Bay Packers at one point a couple of years ago, and it just didn't happen. So now I see this as sort of a a sunk cost scenario, but I think Northwestern views Pat Fitzgerald much differently. You know, they see that legacy. They see the former all American and a guy who wants to be there, but it's like, what are you doing at this point? If you, if you go another one, two, three wins on top of what they did last year and in 2019, I mean, win loss wise, they're going to be one of the worst power five programs. Uh, you know, I, I can remember in years, so I don't know where they're going at this point. I see a big loss in their future this weekend. And then again, you know, Minnesota, Purdue, Illinois, that that's not an easy slate to finish. So just really tough sledding for them all around. I don't know how they turn it back around, really. It's not like they have these great recruits coming in. It's just they pump so much money into this program with the new facilities. They've got a new stadium, I think, coming in the future they're just in a really bad way right now. And so I, I'm with you. I don't have a ton to talk about for this preview. I know we'll get both sides of the ball, but you and I talked about it before the podcast started. This is, you know, arguably or not arguably Ohio State's weakest opponent. And that's saying a lot with Arkansas State and Toledo having happened earlier in the season. Yeah, you know, you look at a guy like Pat Fitzgerald, he had been a real beacon of stability for this Northwestern program for quite some time. But that, like you kind of alluded to, that's really no longer the case. I mean, they 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 had won at least five games a year from 2008 to 2018. But since then, the Wildcats have just fallen off a cliff, you know, outside of a a seven and two record in the COVID season in 2020, where nothing really counted. There are other finishes since then, three and nine, three and nine, and now sitting here one and seven. And like you said, a real legitimate chance of finishing the year one and 11. So you do have to wonder how much longer the program can afford to keep him around. You know, a school like this that also, as you mentioned, you know, brand new facilities, gorgeous, you know, a football facility right on the water located in Chicago. You have a ton of, you know, built in at least geographic uh, advantages to your program. You look at a team like, 
TCU that, that finally pulled the plug on Gary Patterson. And you look what they're doing this season, you know, 8-0 with a chance to win the Big 12. I don't know if Northwestern could could turn things around that quickly under a new head coach, but you got to think that this is sort of a similar situation to that one. You know, Gary Patterson was a guy that was, you know, a stable coach for that team for a long time. Uh, you know, Pat Fitzgerald kind of the same. And maybe I'm just making that connection because both teams wear purple. But I just think that especially coming down the pipe here where the Big 10 West, especially right now, you know, Big 10 West is wide open. And then in the near future, we're probably going to get rid of divisions. So you need to be prepared to compete in the Big Ten once those divisions go away and you're not already playing in the Big Ten like Easy West. So I think you do have to look at it if you're Northwestern. Like you said, they're putting a ton of money into this program. The facilities are new, all this stuff they have going for them. I think it's time to maybe move on to head coach either after this year or after next year if things continue to, to spiral downward. I look at this from a return on investment perspective. You know, Northwestern has an affluent alumni base, an affluent fan base. Clearly, they can afford to put the money into the program. But even if you're not expecting eight, nine, ten wins per season, one, two or three. I mean, come on, what are we doing? They're literally putting hundreds of millions of dollars into facilities and a future stadium. And on top of that, paying Pat Fitzgerald pretty handsomely. And so whether you've got that affluent base or not, it's been dreadful. And 1-11, and I'm sorry, that is inexcusable, especially for a Big Ten team. I, I don't care how bad you are. Look at Indiana. You know, Indiana might come across as, as a lower-tier program. They've had some recent success under Tom Allen, but they've similarly fallen off. And I, I don't see them sticking by Tom Allen for long if the Hoosiers don't turn it around. So, yes, Pat Fitzgerald is this former All-American and a legacy, but it's a total sunk cost, like I said, unless they can turn something around. But you and I are seemingly in agreement here. We just don't see it. Yeah, I mean, I hear Scott Frost is available. So, I mean, that that's something to think about for sure. Um, he knows the Big Ten West, Gene. You he, know, could they get a conference the win with him? They could lose it by one score. <laughs> that, that's a great point. Yeah, I mean, all right. So let, let's well, now that we've we've disparaged the uh, the head coach of Northwestern, who I think you know we've both liked in the past, but kind of feel like it's it's just it's peaked at this point in there. I don't know if it's it's coming back. Let's look at what, what time, they got. Yeah. yeah, let's look at what they got on this year's current roster because it's it's not really a ton to work with in his defense. Although you know you are the guy that's in charge of the program, you should be building a better football team. But just looking at the current roster here, starting on offense. Um, Northwestern started the year with former South Carolina transfer Ryan Hilinski at the helmet quarterback. Um, was not great last year. Threw for under 1,000 yards with three touchdowns and four picks in nine games. They kind of thought that in his first full offseason with the program, he'd be able to improve, but that hadn't been the case. You know, He completed under 58% of his passes for a little under, under 1,600 yards with six touchdowns and six interceptions in six games. And he's now been replaced by sophomore Brennan Sullivan. Sullivan has started each of the last two games, playing in three games total. He's been much more efficient, completing over 73% of his passes for 416 yards with four touchdowns and three picks so certainly not elite numbers but at least better than Holinsky was doing um, but the real the real bread and butter of this team or at least what it what you would want it to be if, if it had a strength on this offense is is the running room and that is led by Evan Hull um, Evan Hull has been the team's best offensive player overall he's got over a thousand yards from scrimmage 579 yards rushing 461 yards receiving he's got the five total touchdowns 
He's joined in that backfield by Cam Porter, who returns from an ACL injury last year. Neither have been all that explosive. Hull is averaging just 4.3 yards per carry and Porter at 3.2. Overall, this rushing attack ranks 11th in the Big Ten. So uh, when the strength of your offense is is putting up those kind of numbers, that certainly isn't good. But but if there is a, a strength to this offense, it is Evan Hull and, and what he could do both on the ground and through the air. Um, other guys through the air, not a ton going on at wide receiver, which has you know not been aided by poor quarterback play this year. Uh, but Malik Washington does return after being the second leading receiver a year ago. He is on pace to well eclipse his totals from last season as he leads the team with 470 yards through eight games. Um, the next most yards through the air behind he and Hull is Illinois transfer Donnie Navarro at 230 yards. Uh, those three guys combined for half the team's receiving touchdowns, five of the ten. Um, so not, not really a ton going on in, in the receiver core here. The offensive line, uh, just to round out this group, has some really good pieces, but hasn't really played well as a unit. They do have perhaps the best offensive tackle in the country in, in junior Peter Skaronsky. Uh Surefire first-round NFL draft pick. He's currently pegged as the, the top offensive tackle in the 2023 draft class. Um, they've got a couple other veteran players along the front. Every starting offensive lineman is either a junior or higher, but still they're only 115th in, in the country in average line yards, 78th in power success rate. Uh, they're ninth in the Big Ten allowing 15 sacks on the season. So um, while they have some some really good pieces there and perhaps one of the best tackles in the country, um, they they don't really do it all that much with it. They're you know, I don't think Ohio State's defense is going to really have a ton to worry about here. Uh, could be a bit of a different wrinkle. Ohio State isn't used to seeing with a running back that is pretty significantly in, involved in the passing game. Be interested to see how Jim Knowles looks to slow down Hull out of the backfield as a receiving threat. Um, but this is not a team that's going to have many explosive plays. I, I think if the Buckeyes just keep everything in front of them like they have been doing, um, it shouldn't be a big challenge. I, I'm with you. This offense has been, frankly, terrible under new-ish offensive coordinator. I think it's Mike Bahakian, Bahakian. He took over in 2020, if I'm not mistaken, and they were fine that year. Since the beginning of 2021, though, they've averaged 17.3 points per game. That's all of last year and eight games this year. This is despite having two former five-star quarterbacks, right? So they had the, um, the Clemson transfer. I want to say Tyler Johnson, Hunter Johnson, I think, uh, last year. And Ryan Holinsky was also a former five-star or or high four-star. I think that he was like the number two pro-style quarterback in the 2019 class. So guys who have a skill set, right? And then two All-American type tackles in Rashawn Slater and Skaronsky, like you mentioned. So there are pieces there, and they haven't been able to do anything with it, with any of those guys, really. So um, they're bordering on Ference-esque production in the Big Ten when it comes to offense. The running back's good. A couple of decent running backs, really, when you think about it. The quarterback and the skill players, though, they've got, they've got to give you more, or the game plan has to give you more. At quarterback, you said it, Helensky started the first six games. He has since been benched. I mentioned his um, sort of background. Was a highly sought-after recruit once upon a time, but has never really been able to pass with accuracy. So Sullivan has taken over and played in the last three games. To his credit, he has been accurate, you know, 73% completion percentage. But in about two and a half games, only 416 yards passing and four touchdowns to three interceptions. So you hit the hammer on the the nail on the head there. Uh, lack of explosion, right, when it comes to passing, running, you name it. I do like Evan Hall, though. I think he is a real dog. This this guy sees 8, 9, 10, 
maybe all 11 in the box at certain times, and he still produces 579 yards rushing. I think you mentioned only 4.3 yards per carry, so it's tough for him, right? You sort of feel for him. He's a good player, but when you're running against those stack boxes and the other team knows exactly what to game plan for, it's tough for him. Um, but he has seemingly become this program's Christian McCaffrey because he is leading the team in receptions. He's second receiving yards over a thousand total. So um, he, he can do some things and he's backed up by Cam Porter. Cam Porter had a mini breakout at the end of the 2020 season. We saw him, Ohio State saw him in the uh, Big Ten championship game. Wasn't great against them, but he had two or three really good games at the end of the year. He has not regained his pre-injury form. He missed all of 2021. He's come back this year. He's only averaging 3.2 yards per carry, not giving you anything out of the backfield uh, reception-wise. He only has three catches for 23 yards. So Ohio State should be able to hone in and focus on Hall because the guys on the outside, Malik Washington is, you know, he's a nice player, but he's 5'9". He's a smallish kind of guy. Um, far and away, their best receiving option. You mentioned the other two guys, Kirks and Donnie Navarro, only 400 yards between them. And then they've got Thomas Lang and Thomas Gordon, or I'm sorry, Marshall Lang and Thomas Gordon. They have combined for 300 yards at tight end. So um, I, I think the skill is sort of there, but a lot of these yards are, they're the only options, right? They, they need to find a quarterback who can get them the ball on the outside. I've not looked at their sack numbers, but you would think with Skaronsky, they could protect a little bit, open up some holes for Evan Hall. But I don't see them doing it this week. Ohio State's defense has continued to play well. I know they gave up a bunch of yards to Sean Clifford passing. A lot of that was on long plays, broken plays, mi- mi- missed tackles. Goodness. Um, Northwestern doesn't have those options. They don't have those weapons. So I see it being a tough afternoon for them in Evanston on Saturday. But maybe Evan Hall can get some things going. If he breaks a a long run or something, maybe they can put up some points. But when you're talking about 16, 17 per game, uh, you know, they're going to need triple that to keep up with Ohio State. So it's just not going to happen. Again, I feel bad for Hall because I think he's a really good player. He's a tough dude built like a bowling ball. can break some tackles, but he's a one man band and he just doesn't have any backup. Yeah, I honestly, the, the matchup I'm most looking forward to when, when Northwestern's offense is on the field is JT Tuimaloao going up against Skaronsky. Um, I, I think that would be a be really, fun. really fun matchup. Two guys that are probably both, you know, future first round draft picks. Obviously, Tuimaloao coming off the, the game of his life. Don't know if he'll be able to replicate that game in this one. I don't know if anybody will ever be able to replicate the kind of game that he had against Penn State, but should be a good, a really fun matchup to watch between two really good players in the trenches. Um, I'm also interested to see what. Ohio State does a cornerback in this game. We heard a little bit from Ryan Day um, in his Tuesday press conference about how they're continuing to give uh, Jordan Hancock more and more reps. So that's good to hear. Um, I don't know if Ohio State's secondary will really be tested at all in this game, but it'll be interesting to see what they continue to do with the cornerbacks. Um, I know Cam Brown's missed a few games now. You know, Denzel Burks looked like he's getting a little bit better. Um, maybe we see more Jordan Hancock in the mix here. I know that, you know, J.K. Johnson's obviously a young player. He's he's struggled a bit. They've had some other guys out there that have struggled a bit as well. So kind of a, in one other area to watch. That's kind of what I'll be looking for when these two units are on the field. Because like you said, you know, they may be able to, you know, broken play here and there. They might be able to put up some points. But I am not, you know, expecting Northwestern to have any sort of offensive explosion against an Ohio State defense that has played pretty darn well. I'll give you a bold prediction. You mentioned a couple of guys who you were interested in from an Ohio State defensive perspective. When I look at what Northwestern does or wants to do, 
ball control, run it. Uh, a lot of passes underneath. They're not an explosive team. I think Tommy Eichenberg could be in line for 20 tackles in this game. If Northwestern can stay on the field and convert some first downs, because you know Hall is going to see the ball a ton, even if he does underneath, Tommy E could really eat 15, 20 tackles. We saw 15 against Penn State, and from what I saw, it was kind of a uh, a quiet 15-tackle game for him. I could see him doing the same thing, or maybe even more, against this Northwestern team, because it's going to be interior-based, all up front, and so, yeah, I, I think I expect a big game from both Ohio State linebackers, but this could be sort of a career-high, record-setting performance, I think, for Tommy Eichenberg. Yeah, me and Matt touched on it in our in our recap of Penn State. Tommy Eichenberg is on pace to be really the first Ohio State player uh, to reach 100 tackles since Raquan McMillan, and I believe it was 2016 um, that that happened. So certainly it could be a big game for him to to get closer to that goal. I will be interested to see if Ohio State runs a couple more um, three linebacker sets. We haven't really seen a ton of that this year, but I imagine that yeah. Northwestern will come out in a lot of heavy sets. So maybe we see more of Cody Simon. Maybe we even see some of CJ Hicks in this game. I know that they've now said that uh, Chip Trainum has, has transitioned fully to running back. They obviously have some some injuries in that room. They're missing Evan Pryor for the year. Both Mayan Williams and Trayvon Henderson have been banged up, um, so he's no longer in the linebacker room. But maybe a guy like Cody Simon or even C.J. Hicks will get a little bit more playing time in this game. Maybe Ohio State will look to go with more of a, of a heavier box against the, the sets that Northwestern is going to come out there with. But nonetheless... Um, Gene, real yeah. quick, what since you brought that up, uh, this this should be... A Cody Simon, potentially C.J. Hicks, potentially Sonny Styles, Kai Stokes. I want to see those guys in this game because Ohio State has, gosh, every week seemingly been beat up at one position or another. And I know this isn't an out-of-conference early season opponent, but I think you're on to something there. We should see some backups in this game, specifically in the second half, as long as Ohio State does not, you know, give up on offense or, you know, completely fold, which I don't expect them to do. This could be a game where we see some young guys and hopefully get some production out of them. Yeah, this this should definitely be if all goes well for Ohio State and things go the way that they should on paper. Um, this should be a game where we get to see some of those backups, maybe make some maybe get some extended snaps rather than they they would in, in some other games. Maybe they get in a little bit earlier. For that to happen, Ohio State will have to put up points on offense against this Northwestern defense. Um, Pat Fitzgerald Northwestern teams have been built on their defense, but that unit has not exactly excelled this year. Um, they currently rank 11th in the Big Ten, allowing a whopping 407 yards per game. They are 13th in the conference in rushing, 7th in passing, so a little bit better in the secondary than they are up front. Um, along that defensive line, the Wildcats are led by Adetoima Adeboare. Uh, the senior defensive tackle leads a team with four sacks along with five and a half tackles for loss. He also has a pair of forced fumbles on the year. This is not really a big uh, sack team. They rank 10th in the conference with 14 through eight games. Um, Stanford transfer Ryan Johnson is second behind Adebore with two sacks. No other player has more than one and a half. Um, the only other player with more than one sack is linebacker Bryce Gallagher, who is perhaps his team's best defensive player overall. The redshirt junior has totaled a team-high 79 tackles with five tackles for loss, one and a half sacks, and a pick. Um, he's joined at linebacker by another very good player in Xander Muller. Second on the team with 64 total tackles, leads the team in both tackles for loss with six and a half and interceptions with two. Um, this is, Northwestern runs a similar 4-2-5 to Ohio State, so those are really the only two linebackers that are on the field for them the majority of the time. Um, and the secondary is the strength of this defense if there is one, much like the, the running back room is the strength of the offense if there is one. Uh, Jeremiah Lewis and Cameron Mitchell are two of the leaders of this group. The safety, Lewis, is a Duke transfer in his fifth year of college football. Uh, third on the team with 52 total tackles, tied for the team lead with four pass breakups. 
Um, the guy he is tied for with those pass breakups is corner is the corner uh, Cameron Mitchell that I mentioned. Um, he also has a pick and a sack. Uh, nickelback AJ Hampton returned last week from an injury after he was out since the opener. Um, another player to watch in this secondary, but once again, much like the offense, not not a ton of star power on this unit. Um, they just they don't have the the guys that really jump off the page. And I, I think this is a game where Ohio State, if they're looking to get the run game going after two poor showings in that department the last two weeks, this is certainly the time to do it. Um, I don't imagine C.J. Stroud will have much trouble against the secondary after not struggling against Iowa or Penn State, especially with what this unit allowed Spencer Petras to do. So um, overall, this should be a game where Ohio State is able to dominate on offense. It would be nice to see Ohio State run the good plays in the first half instead of waiting for the second half to do it as they've done these last couple of weeks. But nonetheless, I, I think that you know after facing Iowa and Penn State back-to-back, I, I think this Northwestern defense is fine, but certainly not up to the level of those teams. And if those teams couldn't hold Ohio State under you know 40 points, I don't imagine Northwestern will be able to do it either. Uh, I'm with you. I don't think they will either, but I could see a little bit of a... Um not a letdown, but just sort of a easing up on the gas from this Ohio State offense in this game. And I'm not saying that's the game plan to take it easy or anything like that, but coming off the Iowa game and a big emotional game at, at Penn State to go on the road, early kick, maybe they're a little bit slower to get things rolling. In the end, I think they put up a bunch of points. We'll get to predictions. But, you know, that that would be the only reason that I think Ohio State would really struggle at all is if they just come out of the block slow, given what we saw last week. But getting to this Northwestern defense, clearly not the calling card it once was. They were great in 2018 and 2020 when they competed for a Big Ten title. You know, they were fifth in points per game allowed in 2020. So just lights out on that side of the ball. They've taken a big step back. They just don't have the horses this year, you know. Guys like Brandon Joseph and Greg Newsom are gone. A couple of really good players in the secondary. And the linebackers are are really good, but um, they don't have the older Gallagher. His name, uh, Blake, was just a tackling machine for them. So they don't have the high-end talent that they've had, although I do like some of their players. So up front, I'm not going to butcher the kid's last name. Adebaware, I think, is the last name. You mentioned it. Um He's undersized, but he's tough. He's got 14 14 tackles for loss and eight and a half sacks since the beginning of 2021. Not much else up there. The only other defensive lineman on the roster was Ryan Johnson, who you mentioned, but he has not played since early October. I don't know if he'll be back this week, but in six games, he had six total tackles and those two sacks. So not a lot of pressure being created um, against the opposing quarterback. At linebacker, I do like both of those players, Bryce Gallagher and Xander Muller. They average a combined 18 tackles per game, so pretty solid duo. They don't get after the quarterback very often or make a ton of tackles behind the line, but they are disciplined and almost always in the right place at the right time. Gallagher in particular um, has really taken over for his brother and been a tackling machine since taking over that starting position last year. I do like their secondary a little bit, particularly the safeties. They're air quotes only giving up 220 yards passing per game, which if you look at their schedule, that, that's a good number, but they played, they played Maryland without Talia Tagovailoa. Um, they played Penn state in really adverse conditions. So I don't think that they've been tested that, you know, greatly through the air this Ohio State offense will present an entirely different and unique challenge but Cam Mitchell and Garrett Hollins they'll do their best against the Ohio State wide receivers on the outside 
I like the safeties, though. Rod Hurd and Jeremiah, Lu- Jeremiah Lewis are third and fourth on the team in tackles. Lewis, in particular, is averaging nearly seven per. You mentioned the four pass breakups. He has four interceptions and 15 pass breakups in 28 starts between Duke and Northwestern. So he can do some things back there, sort of a um, poor man's Brandon Joseph, if you will. Same thing that we saw on the offense, right? Some players, some nice guys, but they're going up against a monster. They're going up against a beast in this Ohio State offense. So you know they're going to be well coached. It comes down to execution and getting off the field. And I, I just I don't think they can do that against this Ohio State offense, which continues to roll. Yeah, absolutely. I am interested to see um, if Ohio State maybe arrests some of its guys in a game that that should they shouldn't really be in danger of losing. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see, you know, a guy like Mayan Williams who got banged up last week. Obviously, I don't I don't think Jack Smith and Jigba plays in this game. Uh, maybe a guy like Cam Brown on the other side of the ball who has been out a couple weeks. I think guys that even if they could, you know, maybe get it going if they had to. I, I think a lot of guys that are like have minor injuries here and there will, will maybe get a chance here. Maybe not all of them in the same game because you don't want to bench your entire starting roster. But maybe some guys that are banged up here and there will get some time off. Um, so let me see if maybe that plays a factor in this. Obviously, you know, it is a, at 11 a.m. time locally at Northwestern, which sometimes gives teams a bit of trouble. Maybe you start off a little bit sleepier than you'd like. But like I said before, I think this is really a game where Ohio State needs to be able to get their run game going. You know, and maybe not to win this game, but for later in the year when, when the games get tougher, they need to figure out how to get that ground game going. It's been really bad here for two straight weeks. So to have that um, getting back to its, what it was in the first half of the season would be good. Um, and it's also a chance for C.J. Stroud to continue to build his Heisman resume. You know, uh, Hennon Hooker is going to get a big chance to stake his claim this weekend against Georgia. Um, obviously, C.J. Stroud will have a chance to have his big Heisman moment later in the year against Michigan. But really, these next three games for Stroud, including this one against Northwestern, is the time for him to really build up his stats against some lesser opponents. So those are kind of the the big things I'm looking for for Ohio State's offense in this game. I do think we'll see. You know, maybe Northwestern does throw some things at Ohio State and makes it a little bit more difficult, but I, I really can't see Ohio State struggling in this one after, you know, the two defenses they played the last two weeks. I think this is certainly, you know, not not a, don't want to disrespect Northwestern too much, but this is certainly a step down in competition from what Ohio State has seen the last two weekends. So I, I think they'll you know, come into this game with uh, looking looking forward to that. Yeah, I'm with you. You know, you're right. You don't want to disparage or disrespect another Big Ten opponent, but The spread is 38, 39 points for a reason, right, Gene? Like, everyone in the universe at this point expects Ohio State to blow Northwestern out of the water. And I think they'll put up plenty of points, and the end result will look good. But I could see this being, like we've said, sort of a sleepy performance and one where, look, as long as Ohio State doesn't win by – you know, four, seven points, something crazy like that. The end result is not going to matter that much in the grand scheme of things. I don't know if you want to talk about playoff rankings. The first one will come out later tonight. Um, a 21-28 point victory by Ohio State. I, I don't think that that would get a, a negative reaction from many people because everyone's just going to look at it like coming off the big Penn State game and and maybe, like I said, taking the foot off the brake a little bit. So I expect Ohio State to look good, even if they're not going to put up 60 points. I think that they're going to be explosive when they want to be, when they need to be, probably work on the run game, like you said. But I could see this being a very boring game just because of the opponent and the fact that I think we will see some young guys get in this game. So it's not a scrimmage or anything like that. But if there is a week for Ohio State to sort of breathe 
and relax a little bit. This stretch right here between both Northwestern and Indiana, that's the one. You want everyone to be healthy. You don't want to give too much away for that Michigan game later down the road. So uh, a lot of things working against Ohio State, not in the you know the grand scheme of things, but just this game could be boring for all of those reasons that you and I have both mentioned. Yeah, I mean, Ohio State has won the last nine meetings between these two teams, and, and not many of them have been all that close. There was obviously the, um, the the Big Ten Championship game not too long ago. They had a game back in, in 2016 that they only won by four points. Um, they, they won 40 to 30 back in 2013. But other than that, it's pretty much all been like 30 to 40 point blowouts between these two teams in their last few meetings. So I expect a kind of a similar outcome in, in this one. I, I think kind of like you said, maybe it is a bit of a, of a sleepwalk for Ohio State. Maybe they do just run a very vanilla scheme and, and come out with maybe, you know, a, a 15 to 20 point win or something like that. But I don't think Ohio State is in a position where they really at this, you know, with the way that they've played so far, I don't think they're really out here looking for style points necessarily. I mean, it would be nice, but at the end of the day, if Ohio State wins. Yeah, I don't think they have to this week. Yeah, no, if Ohio State wins all the games on their schedule, they're going to make the playoff. I don't think they need to look good to do anything. Like if they they beat Michigan and they win the Big Ten, they're going to be in the playoff. I don't think they have to worry about looking good. Obviously, you still want to look good, but and because you want, you know, uh, the higher seed you want in the playoff because the the past couple years, especially, and I, I imagine this year too the the number four seed has not provided much of a a competition so to get that number one seed would be nice but I don't think this is a week where Ohio State needs to you know put up 70 points to show anybody what they are I think everyone expects Ohio State to win this game and as long as they do that then they're then they're in good shape um I guess yeah we could we could talk we'll we'll talk about the playoffs here shortly let's just before we move on to that let's uh let's get our score predictions in for this week Josh since you weren't here um for the recap I'll let you go first this time okay so like we've talked about, you know, I don't know. I don't think there's too much we can really give away. No surprises coming out of this one. I think that Ohio State does sleepwalk a little bit there in the beginning. I hope I'm wrong, but give me 52-17. I think we see some backups in the second half, and Northwestern puts up a touchdown late against the second unit. 52-17. They just missed the cover, but it's comfortable throughout. Yeah, I am. Um, I'm close to you, but I traded a touchdown to the other side. I have it 59 to 10, Ohio State. Um, I just don't think that there's anything Northwestern could really throw at Ohio State that's going to put up points. I, like like you said, maybe they get a touchdown late in this one, or maybe there's just like a broken coverage early and a guy just gets open and scores. But I don't foresee Northwestern having many like long sustained drives against this Ohio State defense. You know, the Buckeyes have played very very well against the run. I don't think Northwestern could do enough in the passing game to really test this secondary at all. Um, so I think on the defensive side of things, Ohio State's in good shape. And of course, offensively, I think that they want to bounce back from a couple of slow starts these last couple weeks I think Ryan Day wants to silence a lot of people kind of coming at him for his play calling style you know he, he talked a little bit about that in in the his presser today and he kind of joked about you know the bubble screens and whatnot but I do expect to see a much more you know well thought out Ohio State offense even if it's vanilla I think Ohio State running vanilla is still better than kind of some of the things they've done early in the last couple of games so I think Ohio State wins this one pretty comfortably um, not not a ton of stress in this one which is nice after the, the last couple of weeks I think that you know especially after the Penn State game having a couple of weeks here where you expect Ohio State to come in and win by you know 30 40 points is is certainly nice but that being said Josh, tonight, you know, when this comes out, this will be coming out uh, after the first college football playoff rankings of the 2022 season come out. So we will almost certainly be wrong already as we're talking about this. But I did want to <laughs> get kind of our top four predictions for Tuesday night's, um, you know, debut of the college football playoff rankings. You know, the AP poll, high State is currently number two. But really, all that matters is the college football playoff poll from here on out. So, Josh, what do you have um, as your projected top four coming into Tuesday night where, you know, everyone can make fun of us when we're already wrong coming whenever this airs. 
My projection and what I really feel are a little bit different. So not to be too much of a homer, but I I really do believe that Ohio State's the best team in the country right now. They're playing like it, in my opinion. But I think that people um, will see that Penn State first three quarters, you know, as something to sort of keep an eye on and they'll point to the secondary and th- things like that. So I don't think Ohio State's going to get that credit during this first ranking. I will go Georgia getting the benefit of the doubt. You know, they look good. But in my opinion, they are not the team they were last year, but they're the reigning champs and they have not lost. So I would put Georgia at number one. I think Tennessee will actually come in at number two just because of how they've looked recently. You know, they they blew the doors off Kentucky, which was the 15th, 15th ranked team, I think, in the country at the time. And, and they've got Hooker, who's just going bananas for them at quarterback. So. I think it'll be SEC, SEC with Georgia and Tennessee. And then I think it's going to be Big Ten, Big Ten. I think Ohio State will come in at number three and Michigan at number four. How do you feel about that, Gene? Well, Josh, I have bad news for you. We have the exact same uh, projected top four in, in the exact same order. I, I think for, you know, you've, you've hit on many of the same reasons. But, yeah, I, I think Georgia at number one, you know, they're the reigning champs, so they get the benefit of the doubt there. They had the big win early in the year over Oregon. And they've had some stumbles along the way, but that defense looks like it, it's rounding into form and it looks pretty dominant once again. Um, Tennessee has the biggest win of any team with their big win over Bama. Um, they're, they're one, of, one of these teams has to lose this week as well since they play play each other so I think that they're going to kind of just put those two up top if not you know I think they do deserve to be in those spots but I also think that it's going to help you know just ratings to have one versus two this weekend and knowing that one of those teams has to lose anyway and they'll they'll move out or down and after this weekend's poll anyway I think you'll see those two teams at the top then Ohio State at number three um, obviously not the strongest schedule in the world they added the road win over Penn State but they have dominated everyone in their path which is kind of what you'd expect them to do and then at number four Michigan you know an even weaker schedule than Ohio State's but they've also taken care of business and have looked like you know a top four team in the country so you know outside of those four teams I think the only other real programs with an argument to be in the top four maybe Clemson you know undefeated decent wins over Wake Forest NC State and Syracuse but they really haven't looked good at all doing it um, maybe TCU undefeated wins over Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, and Kansas State, but they do, you know, they they seem to spot every team 14 points in the first half and then and find a way to come back and win. Um, but other than that, I don't think there's really any other teams that are going to surprise us. I don't think you're going to see, you know, any other teams that are in in contention for those top four, five, even six spots. I think those are the teams that they're kind of looking at right now. Uh, maybe Alabama's still up there, five, six, whatever it is. Um, they're obviously going to have their chance with the, how the rest of the SEC plays out. But I, I do think that I would be a little bit surprised if that isn't the order. You know, maybe they do um, give Ohio State the benefit of the doubt because they've been playing so well and put them number two over Tennessee. But I just think that they're they're really going to value that Alabama win right now. Plus that they know those two teams play each other and they could just move Ohio State to two over the team that loses that game next week. Um, I think Georgia, Tennessee, Ohio State, Michigan is going to be your 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 top four in this first playoff spot. So we're in lockstep on this, but I want—I will give you one like semi-warm take, though, just outside the top four. I would put TCU at number five. Uh, I'm with you. They, they don't always put themselves in the best position, but they find a way. They come back. They've got an explosive offense, good enough defense, and I just like their resume more so than Clemson. So if we were to go beyond four, I would have TCU five, Clemson six, and Alabama seven. How do you feel about that kind of the other group that I named? Yeah, I don't hate it. I mean, I think they have one of the uh, best wide receivers in the country in Quentin Johnson. I, I think they've been a lot of fun to watch. You know, uh, Sonny Dykes has done a really good job in his, his first year with them. So 
Uh, I think TCU is, is well-deserving of that number five spot. I don't know if they'll they'll give it to them. They might fall victim to kind of the, the brand aspect of college football where teams like Clemson and Alabama get the benefit of the doubt over them. Um, I don't think playing in, the, in a down Big 12 helps either, but I guess you could say the same for Clemson and the ACC. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't hate TCU at number five. I think they're more than deserving. They're obviously gonna have a, you know, they're gonna have to play out the rest of their Big Twelve schedule and and, and remain undefeated to, to probably make it. But I think for right now, it's hard to argue they're not a top five, top six team in the country with the way they played. So I am interested to see what happens. I don't think there's gonna be a, a ton of drama. Um, I'm sure there'll be a bunch of teams that are ranked way too high because a lot of the committee probably doesn't watch most of the games. Um, but. I do think that we're not going to really be. There's nothing. I'm, it's not worth arguing about college football playoff rankings on on November first or whatever it is. It's just you know there's a lot of football to be played. All these teams pretty much have to play each other down the stretch at some point. So it'll sort itself out at one point or another. But I, I think in the first rankings we're pretty we're we're in lockstep of what we expect to happen. And I don't think I could agree with you anymore that they really don't matter right now. <laughs> you know, as long as you're in the top 10, you've got a puncher's chance. And we know Ohio State's going to be in the top four. If they're not, then something has gone, you know, completely crazy. But yeah, it's too early. These teams will play each other, like you said. So this is just sort of a a gauge right now. And we've seen it in years past. Uh, it doesn't mean anything right now. It doesn't mean anything until Dece- you know, December rolls around when these conference championship games have been played then then we can talk you know we can talk michigan week but up until then it's really just going to be argumentative um for for everyone else to sort of get into and ryan day alluded to that too he said he's probably not even going to watch the rankings doesn't matter to him for ohio state it's take care of business and you'll be where you want to be at the end yeah even you know for as bad as our predictions might wind up being after this comes out it's not going to be worse than desmond howard's projected final four of of texas impossible to be worse than that baylor pittsburgh and michigan other than michigan all three of those other teams have a terrible years um just the worst prediction of all time but not nothing new from desmond howard but nonetheless um i think that's pretty much it for us this week you know we got another ohio state game on the horizon hopefully we have uh josh doesn't get lost the mountains this week or maybe maybe he does and then comes back for the fourth quarter ohio state scores another 28 points in the fourth quarter we shall see you know what Um, i might do gene though yes because I think Northwestern should get the advantage when they play at home. They should be able to play at 11 Eastern time. So maybe I'll make a trip to Chicago, catch a brunch, something like that, and catch kickoff at 11 a.m. What do you think? I mean, it sounds good to me. I'm always down for a good brunch, um, especially ahead of a nice, hopefully, Ohio State win. Be sure to check out all of our written content over at landgrantholyland.com. We will have all of our usual uh, preview content for you there. We also have a lot of basketball content kicking up this week, so be sure to be on the lookout for that. Uh, Be sure to like, rate, view, subscribe, all that good stuff, all the podcasts asks you to do. And for Josh Dooley, I am Gene Ross, and as always, go Bucks. Go Bucks!